reminded and find Colossians chapter 2, if you would. The mystery of the stolen Bible was finally solved. I'm not even going to say who it was. Not even going to say who it was. But it has been solved. And they didn't even take the check that was in the Bible. I had to buy some plane tickets in the church that sent me a reimbursement check on some plane tickets and I had stuck it in my Bible. And I really wanted it more than I did the Bible to be honest with you. They returned the Bible and the check. But now we have had, we do have a new mystery. We have the mystery of the missing trumpet stand. So Celeste trumpet has a stand over there and it's missing, it's missing. I cannot imagine who would take a trumpet stand. I can understand stealing the trumpet, but the trumpet stand. So if any of you go home and have an extra trumpet stand at your house, it might belong to Celeste. And if it doesn't show up, we'll buy her one. We'll buy her. It's bad when you can't even go to church without getting robbed. <laughs> so, a bunch of Baptists. I'll read verse 8 and then we'll look at a couple of other verses here tonight. Colossians is one of the books that we memorized. A couple of us did. And um, there's some hard language as in hard to understand language in chapter 2. But verse 8 is a verse that you're familiar with. We'll read it just to get us started tonight. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. The book of Colossians is a personal letter written by the Apostle Paul from Rome to a church in Colossae. Paul was under house arrest in Rome while he was awaiting trial or an appeal before a Roman tribunal. And during the two years that he was there, he would end up writing five epistles. Now, four of those epistles we call prison epistles, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. But in the book of Colossians, he mentions another letter that he wrote to the church at Laodicea. Colossae, Ki, Laodicea were all kind of grouped together in one region. And he referenced a letter that he wrote to Laodicea. He told the church of Colossians, make sure you read that letter and then let them, that church of Laodicea, read this letter. So back and forth. So that brings up a great question about inspiration. Why do we not have that letter of Laodicea? Why is it not in the canon of Scripture? And I think it demonstrates one of the finer points of inspiration, and that is, is that though God inspired men to write his Scriptures, it does not mean that everything that they wrote was inspired. We do not believe that that letter was inspired because it has not been preserved for us. But it is interesting that there was a fifth letter. 
Colossians is about a thousand mile journey from Rome, mostly by sea. And if you put the clues together that are found in the book of Colossians, Paul actually never was in Colossae. The church there was probably the fruit of his ministry in Ephesus. He was in Ephesus for uh, 18 months and it is probable that while he was there, a man named Epaphras got saved and Epaphras went back to his hometown of Colossae and put the gospel there. And so while the church at Colossae did not personally know Paul himself, they knew him as the apostle. His word certainly carried apostolic authority with them. During his time in house arrest in Rome, he would receive many visitors. One of those visitors was this Epaphras. Epaphras had traveled to Rome with some other men and he came to Rome to counsel with Paul concerning some issues in the church at Colossae. It seems that there was some concern about some false teaching in that church that had crept in and these false teachings threatened to blow up into full-blown heresies. And so Paul writes a letter to the church that had never been to, gives it to the hand of Epaphras and Onesimus, and they deliver this letter back to that church. We see that in chapter 2 and verse 1. He says, I would that ye know what great conflict I have for you, and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face, in the flesh. He said that their hearts might be comforted being knit together in love and all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. The greatest danger to any church is the danger of false teaching. Persecution from outside the church always strengthens the church. But false teaching from within the church always weakens the church. I, I, I thought about this this week. We, we have been very blessed here at Victory for almost 50 years. We're coming on, uh, coming on to 50 years here pretty soon. And we've had 50 years of good doctrine and, and good teaching and a lot of preachers that have come through here and I am sure that there are some minor matters that when we get to heaven, we will discover that we were wrong on. And heaven will sort all those things out. But our doctrine has not changed in all of these years. Same Bible, same gospel, same doctrine, same faith. I know of churches that started out as a King James only church and we're persuaded to go to a different translation or a pastor comes in and he leads the church into Calvinism or some other ism or some other doctrine direction doctrinally. But the Lord has been good to us all of these years in this matter and it's just stayed the same and I thank God for that. But the churches of Galatia would be especially susceptible and vulnerable to doctrinal attacks. The, the epistle of Galatians was a, or, or Colossians, it was a, a, a circular letter. It was meant to be circulated to a group of churches in a region, not just that particular congregation. And, and, and in the book of Galatians as well, Paul addresses these Judaizers that would come in after Paul had left and tried to pervert what Paul had 
taught. And, and that's what's happened in the church at Colossians. And his concern is doctrinal purity. So in chapter 2, Paul lays out some of the false teachings that are threatening the church at Colossae. And when you put all of these doctrines together, they are a, they are a deadly combination is what they are. We'll look at them in just a minute. You know, we are, we are living in a time when you and I are bombarded by every heresy on so many fronts and so many false teachings. If you go into the average Christian bookstore, there is more heresy being sold than there is truth being sold. And with the, with the, with the internet now, you have access to any kind of false heresy that you want. Flat Earth, there's a podcast for that. Black Hebrew Israelite, there's a podcast for that. Reformed theology, there, there is a podcast for that. Isms and schisms everywhere, and legalism and pragmatism and materialism and secularism and humanism and on and on that it goes. And, 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 and it's just that where, it's, it's where you and I live. There's just, there's just, just a proliferation of, of heresies and, and, and there's no new heresy. All that they do is they take out a new name and get a little new packaging, but every new lie is an old lie. So I wanna look at these issues for just a minute that Paul speaks of. They are old lies that are being resurrected even in our day and age. The first one is in verse number eight. And it's the doctrinal heresy of philosophy. Philosophy. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy in vain to see. What is philosophy? The word actually means love of wisdom. Love of wisdom. Well, that's not a bad thing, but it's the wisdom that they love. And that's worldly wisdom. Philosophy is man's attempt to understand the basic issues of life, how the world operates. Philosophy is how you see the world. It is your world view. It's your view of politics, your view of science, your view of, of education. Philosophy is a worldview that attempts to answer every question. It comes to the mind of man. Who am I? How did I get here? What am I doing here? How, how do I find happiness? What lies beyond the grave? All of these questions. And the world system has devised an answer. But here's what you need to know, is that every answer they've come up with stands diabolically opposed to the word of God. You already know that man's attempts to answer even the most basic questions of life is like drawing water from a dry well. Paul calls it vain deceit. It is vain, it is empty, it is worthless, and it's full of lies and deception because it is vain deceit. Everything the world tells you is a big fat lie is what it is. The world expounds its philosophies as brilliant, but it's not even reality. For, for example, for example, you ask the world, how did we get here? And here's their answer. Well, the universe came out of nothing. And over billions and billions of years, we evolved to what we are. Can you think of anything more stupid than that? I mean, really? 
Nothing plus nothing equals everything. That's not profound. It's not brilliant. It's not sophisticated. It's stupid is what it is. It's, it's ignorant. But in our institutions of higher learning, that is their philosophy of origin. There are teachers that are standing before high school students and there are professors that stand before college students with PhDs and with a straight face, they spew the same lies that's been passed down by the traditions of men. You can get a Nobel Prize for believing that. You can get written up in the scientific journals for believing that. But if you say, well, I believe Genesis chapter one, then you're a nutcase. That's the philosophy of the world. You ask the world, you ask the world, when did human life begin? And they'll say, well, we're not sure, but we're sure it doesn't begin at conception. They can detect the heartbeat of a baby at I think five or six weeks, but they don't believe that it is a human. It's a fetus because that depersonalizes it as well. Every mother, every mother that has that baby going in the side of her womb knows that is a living, breathing, real person inside of her. But no, it didn't. I'm gonna tell you what the world's philosophy is. It's stupid is what it is. It's not even sophisticated. The philosophy of this world has been responsible for the murder of millions of babies in their lives. No, the philosophy of the world is you can determine whatever gender you want to be. Educated people believe that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. You have to be mentally ill to believe that. I mean, if you think, if you honestly think that you can be whatever gender you want to be, you really ought to be locked up in a padded cell for your safety. Your mind is so darkened, you can't even think straight to think that gender is a multiple choice. And to add to that, how many genders are there? I think there are up to 38 genders now. Just create one if you want to. Huh? Just, just invent a gender. Just, just be what you want to be. That's the philosophy of this world. Is that not true? Now, now listen, that's, that's the world that we live in and that's how mad that this world, but that's where philosophy takes you. That is wisdom without God. That is what happens when you leave God out of the equation. God is the creator. God is the giver of life. God determines your gender. But, but if you take God out of your thoughts and you are left with a mind that simply cannot function. You can't answer the most basic questions of life. When you reject God as creator, when you reject Genesis chapter one, then your mind is turned over to the lies of Satan. So the first warning that Paul has is he says, beware of philosophy. Beware of the wisdom of this world. Beware of the lies that this world's gonna tell you. 
Athens was the philosophical center of the world and, and they, had, they had the sophisticated men like Plato and, and Socrates and, and, and there's men that come through and they've sat under these great fathers and these great philosophers and, and the great minds of the first century and, and people would be so enamored with them because they're so educated, they're so smart and they're so, they're so sophisticated, they're, they're, they're so intelligent. How do you argue with such sophistication and, and big flu? How, how do you do that? And Paul, Paul says, listen, you better not listen to philosophy because it is a vain deceit is what it is. It, it, it is an exercise in frustration of the degenerate mind trying to find answers without God. And do you understand that this world has a worldview about everything and they preach it to you every day? They don't stand in the pulpit on Sunday and preach it. But every day, they're preaching their philosophy to you. For, for example, for, for example, transgenderism. That's a worldview. Not stupid, but it's a world. Can I say stupid? Or whatever? It, it's, it's a worldview. And the entire world has swallowed it. So, so you, watch, you watch the news. Watch Fox News, the conservative one. Watch Fox News, and they will interview a man pretending to be a woman, and they will call him a her. Because you gotta have the proper pronouns, you can't offend somebody, right? That's ignorance what that is. You know what they're doing? They're, they're preaching their philosophy to you. That, that's not information, that's indoctrination, right? Isn't it amazing, isn't it amazing thing, I'm, I'm not preaching on this, isn't it amazing thing that on, on, on TV, reality shows is not reality, right? The comedy shows are not funny. The news is not informative, right? It's, it's just all, all fake is what it is. So, so transgenderism trans, is promoted in the corporate world and it's promoted in, 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 the, in the public school system and it's promoted in the news media and it's promoted by the government and it's promoted by the military. You cannot escape the philosophy of the world, but you can limit your exposure to it. Now, now, what's the answer to the philosophy of the world? What, what's the answer? Well, it was in verse number eight. He says, but where lest any man spoil you through philosophy of vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rules of the world, and not after Christ. You want to inoculate yourself against the philosophies of the world then dwell on Jesus Christ. The philosophies, philosophies of this world and the teaching of Christ are in direct opposition to each other. There is no common ground. They are in tolerant of each other. They have nothing in common. The wisdom of the world set diametrically opposed to the wisdom of Christ. It is light against darkness, truth against light. It is heaven against hell. Just dwell upon Christ. You can submerge yourself or submerge yourself in the philosophy of this world with their talk shows and their books and, and their music because they preach their philosophy everywhere or you can choose to live according to the truth of Jesus Christ. And what you and I need to do, especially in this day and age in 2023, is you need to be willing to accept that everything you hear and everything you read and everything you are told from the popular voices is a lie intended to deceive you from the simplicity which is in Jesus Christ. 
The world does not have a legitimate claim to wisdom. They have no higher knowledge. They have no greater insight. They have no superior revelation. And a man with a barely a high school education that has a Bible and the Holy Ghost is smarter, has more wisdom, more knowledge, more answers than the PhD. Amen. So he says, be careful, be careful of philosophy. There's a second error that has crept into this church, and that's legalism. You find it in verse 16. He says, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days. Now, the theme of Colossians is the sufficiency of Christ, all right? I'm not giving you an overview of the book, but if you'll take 10 minutes and if you'll read these four chapters, you'll find the sufficient, Christ is enough, Christ is enough, Christ is enough. You, you could, that, that's the message, that's the message. And, 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 I, and I thought about this, you, you really could sum up Colossians in two statements. You, you ought to write this down, but, but, but there's two statements. And the first statement is, is that Christ plus nothing equals everything. Got that? Christ plus nothing equals everything. Look, look at verse, chapter 2, verse, verse 3. In whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge? Verse 9. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Christ is our everything. He is our wisdom. He is our righteousness. He is our salvation. He is our justification. He is our hope. There is no wisdom. There is no knowledge. There is no righteousness. You'll never be complete. You'll never be fulfilled without Christ. You'll never be what you were intended to be without Jesus Christ. So here it is. Christ plus nothing equals everything. But here's the second part of it. Christ plus anything equals nothing. Christ plus anything equals nothing. If you add anything to the person and work of the Lord Jesus, you are left with nothing. Christ, Christ plus nothing equals everything. Christ plus anything equals nothing. When you add anything to Christ for salvation, you don't have anything. When you add anything to Christ for sanctification, you don't have anything. When you add anything to Christ for righteousness, you have nothing. And that is the essence of legalism. The number one issue that the Gentiles in Galatia and Colossae and these churches were facing was legalism because Jewish teachers were coming in. And here's what they are teaching. Christ plus circumcision. Christ plus Sabbath keeping. Christ plus the ordinance. Christ plus, Christ plus, Christ plus. And in so doing, they've made the gospel of none effect. Hold your finger right here. Come, come back to Galatians. Well, Galatians is a great book for, for this. And look at Galatians 5 and, and look at verse number 1. Galatians 5 and verse 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. Be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. If you believe what these Judaizers are telling you, that you have to be circumcised to be complete, to make your salvation complete, then Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you 
Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. They'd come to Galatia and they spread this doctrine of Christ plus. You have to add something to your salvation to be complete. And Paul said, if you add anything, you're going to end up with nothing. You add, you add circumcision, then, then Christ is of no benefit to you. Either Christ is sufficient or he is not. Either he is enough or he is not enough. He is either completely, he has either completely purchased your salvation by his death on the cross or he's done nothing for you. Christ plus nothing equals everything. Christ plus anything equals nothing. And if you understand that, you understand the essence of legalism. That's what he's dealing with in Colossians 2. Look at it in verse 16 again. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or respect of a holy day, or the new moon or the Sabbath days. All those things are leftovers from Judaism. They are external practices that have no internal reality. And in and, and all these practices, it, it makes you a good Jew. Well, they don't have anything to do with Christian life, you see. And, and that's the yoke of bondage that Paul's dealing with in Galatians chapter 5. Jewish teachers telling these Gentile believers, your salvation is incomplete. It's good that you got saved, but now you need to take it to the next level for your salvation to be complete. Now, I have to clarify this, all right? Because whenever you throw the word legalism out, there are some people who believe that legalism is the absence of rules. Legalism means we can't put any rules on me, no, no restrictions, no standards on me. And there are some who, if you preach any standards, then they hollow legalism. You're, you're, you're legalist is what you are. And somebody may listen to this and say, well, there it is. He's against legalism. So I, I'd be separated. I got liberty in Christ. And I just want to say to you that if, they, if you walk away believing that, you have completely missed the point. Liberty in Christ is not an excuse for your carnality. It's not justification for your sin. You can have separation and not be a legalist. Legalism is, is, is not having rules, but it's in finding your spirituality in those rules. Right. Yeah. I mean, all your spirituality is wrapped up in how long your list of do's and don'ts are. Yeah, right. All right? right? Then the truth of the matter is, is you ought to have a list of do's and don'ts. Right. Yeah. And the reality is, you and I both probably ought to have more things on our do and don't list than we do. Right? right? Yeah. But, 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 but the longer your list doesn't determine how spiritual you are. Spirituality is not an external, it's an inner, it begins in the heart. Somebody ought to help me because I'm struggling here just a little bit. It, it, it starts in the heart and it will show up on the outside. It will, it will. It will. Okay. If you have a holy heart, you'll have a holy dress. Amen. If you have a holy heart, you'll have holy music. If you have a holy heart, you will have holy language. You will, all right? It, it'll start, anyway, anyway. So, so, but here's the deal. When your spirituality is wrapped up in your list, then you get proud of your list. And when you get proud of your list, then you become judgmental if everybody don't have everything on their list that you have on your list. Right? That's good preaching tonight. You, you, you're getting good tonight on Wednesday night. You didn't know you'd get it this good, but this, this is right, right. You get proud of your list. You get judgmental if everybody don't have everything on your list. And the legalist, the legalist has a list, but it's not to please God. It is to please him in his pride. 
And Paul says to the Colossians, just like he did to the Galatians, that you don't need to add anything to your salvation to make it complete. All right? Don't, don't let the Judaizer judge you in, in, in keeping the fast days and, and abstaining from meats and not observing holy days because all of those ordinances have been nailed to the cross. He says that in verse number 14. Uh, he says, you being dead in your, or, or he's blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, took it out of the way and nailing it to the cross. Legalism is the doctrine that Christ is not enough. Something has to be added, and in this case, it is the Jewish law. That's legalism. And again, again, it's not that you've got so much liberty in Christ that you just go live like a heathen. Uh, that's not liberty in Christ. That, that's, you, you missed the point completely. But he says you don't have to add anything. You don't have to add anything to... You don't add anything to Christ for salvation. You don't add anything to Christ for sanctification. Christ is enough. There, there's a third error that he addresses here in this chapter. And it's in verse number 18, and it's mysticism. He says in verse 18, Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worship of, worshiping of angels, Intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. Now, now all, of these, all of these heresies, it's a variation of the same lie, and that is that Christ is not sufficient. Philosophy seeks to, to substitute the wisdom of the world for the wisdom of Christ. Legalism seeks to add some extras to, to, to your religion because the cross of Christ is not enough. And here's mysticism. Mysticism says that we need a deeper spiritual existence to take us to a higher level of, of Christian experience. It's not enough to just have Christ. We have to have an experience that goes beyond the simplicity of Christ. And it's really just another version of the doctrine of more. That's what it is. It's the doctrine. And, and the irony, the irony is that while mysticism is promised as being more, it is actually nothing. There is no spiritual reality behind it. What they think is a deeper experience is actually a shallow experience. Mysticism comes in all kinds of forms. But, but mysticism is that God has given this greater revelation. God has given this, this higher experience. There, there, there's, there's more truth than just what's found in the Bible. You find this in charismatic churches. It's all on the experience. Some prophet comes along, claims I have a new word from God. I have a new revelation. God spoke to me last night on the bedpost in my bedroom and I, I have this fresh word from God. New prophecies and, and new revelations and new meanings. That, that's mysticism is all it is. And again, it is an attack on the sufficiency of Christ because you need more than what is found in his word. But don't let anybody tell you that you're a second class Christian because you haven't had the experiences that they've had. I had no vision, I haven't spoken in tongues, I haven't received the baptism of the Holy Ghost as a second blessing consequent to, to I, 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 none of that. 
So do you realize there are, there are good people, probably saved people, that are sitting in charismatic churches, Pentecostal churches, and, 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 and they're speaking in tongues, and they're having these visions and these new revelations and these new interpretations, and there's people sitting in the pews, and they're wondering, what's wrong with me? Why can't I? Why can't, why can't I get it? Why, why can't I? Why, why can't I get the feeling of the Holy Spirit? Why can't I speak in tongues? And, and all those people that are speaking in tongues and having all of these experiences, here's what they are doing: they are inflating their own mind with their puffed-up mind and their ego with things that are only imaginary. Jesus came into my room last night and put his arm around him and talked to me. Well, I want to ask, well, why you? And you do that to me. What, what, what's so special about you? That's mysticism. They don't call it mysticism, but, but it's the same lie. Claim to have superior knowledge and out of the body experience with God. Go, go home and turn on TBN. They're all mystics is what they are. There's Eastern mystics and there's, there's Western mystics. There, there's, there's Hindus and there's, there's, there's Pentecostals. All right? But, but it's all the same thing. Anybody who believes that, that you, can, you, you can be elevated to a spiritual state where you speak in tongues and in gibberish language and you don't even know what you're saying and, and it's somehow an angelic being and it's an angelic language, it's a heavenly tongue, and, uh, that, that, that's a mystic is what it is. That, that's what he's talking about, verse number six. So he says, don't, don't let... The mystics tell you that you're disqualified, that you don't get a reward because you haven't experienced what they've experienced and you don't really know God because you haven't reached their level. That's, that's what he's talking about because all that does is puffed up people. He says in verse 18, he said, they're vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. Counted among the spiritual elites, the truly spiritual ones. And if you haven't got there yet, then there's something wrong with you. But here's their problem. It's the same as the other two. Christ is not enough. Philosophy, the wisdom of Christ is not enough. Legalism, the sufficiency of Christ is not enough. Mysticism, the knowledge of Christ is not enough. So Paul says, don't be intimidated. You don't have a mystical experience. You don't need a vision. You don't need to penetrate the angelic world. You don't need a pious experience. You don't need to speak in tongues. You don't need a new revelation. You have Christ and Christ is enough. There's a fourth heresy that he deals with and it's found in verse 23 and it is asceticism. Look at verse 23. Which things have indeed a show of wisdom and will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. An ascetic is somebody who lives a life of rigorous self-denial. Maybe they take a vow of poverty or a vow of silence and they move into a monastery and maybe a vow of celibacy, whatever it might be. And they do this because they believe it is a mark of higher spirituality. This marks me out as spiritual. I was flying somewhere the other day in the airport and there was a, there was a Buddhist monk, a Buddhist monk that was walking through and, uh, and he had the, the brown, I don't know what they call the brown 
not a habit, that's a nun, but, but whatever, the, the brown robes that, that the Buddhist monk wears. And, 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 and I noticed him because he had a very funny haircut. You know what a bowl haircut is? You put a bowl on your head and you just shave everything that's not covered by the bowl. He had an inverted bowl haircut. It's where it was all shaved up top, but then all around here it was, and it was so pretty and neat. It was like a like you'd, a bowl, but but I don't, know how, I don't know how he did that, but it had it, but it had something to do with 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 him. And, and there he was. He was he was prancing around like a proud peacock because he was so spiritual. He's a phony, is what he is. That's what he is. And see, the world has a life of whatever you want to be. And see, for some people, false religion says that if you want to be spiritual, you don't need to give up anything. You've got liberty in Christ. But for other people, false religion says if you want to be spiritual, you've got to give everything up. You've got to take a vow and self-denial and all of this. And the ascetics in Paul's day believed that the body was evil. Evil. That, that's why they got weird. Some, some monks were so extreme that they wouldn't bathe because they was evil. They wouldn't marry because then they would see somebody else's body and they taught that the body was evil. There was a church father named Athanasius and he praised a monk. There was a monk who was known to never bathe and never change his clothes and that was considered praiseworthy. They had one monk, they said, that he never bathed and that everywhere he walked, that vermin fell off of him. And that was supposed to be spirit. Can you imagine that? I, I mean, they went to extremes. Went to extremes. So some of these church fathers, in fact, some of these church fathers, in a fit of asceticism, castrated themselves as a form of self-denial. Now, that's just taking it too far right there. And by the way, there ought to be self-denial. Right? We all ought to deny ourselves a whole lot more, but not because we are spiritual. We deny ourselves because we are not spiritual. I need, I need to keep my flesh in check because if I don't, my flesh will run rampant. So I, I, need, I need to keep it in check. But he mentions these things. He says, which things have indeed a show of wisdom. It seems wise in will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. All these things have a reputation of wisdom. They appear to be spiritual and it appeals to, to the carnality of man. It makes you, you appear holy, but he says it is of absolutely no value. It is nothing but naked carnality. It is a show of flesh. A man who denies his flesh the basic needs of living in a show of spirituality denies himself everything except his pride. He's proud of his spirituality. There's no glory in all of that. So here's four errors, I'm done, that threaten the church at Colossae. And just a summary of how they operate, false teachings, You'll find them even today, even today in the world that we live in. There, there, was, there was an apostle, and he, he, he wrote this apostle to Colossae. The church is only six years old. They didn't have an apostle in their presence. Epaphras got saved. He's passing church to them basically. So they're susceptible and they are vulnerable. And all these philosophies, they sound so much like great wisdom. 
And here's what he tells them. These believers believed that they needed more. That's what they believed. They listened to the Judaizers and, and we need to add Sabbaths and we need to add circumcision. We need to add the holy days, all the things that the Pharisees loved. They had Gnosticism, they had Greek philosophy and they had Eastern mysticism and they had a heavy dose of legalism. And you add all of that to the gospel, you end up with nothing. That's what you end up with. You end up with nothing. But can I tell you, there's no need to embellish the gospel with the wisdom of the world or the wisdom of the Greeks or the traditions of the world or the legalism of the Pharisees. Christ is perfectly sufficient. He alone embodies everything that you need for life and godliness. In verse three, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You don't need to look anywhere else other than Christ, wisdom and knowledge. The answer for it all is in chapter 3. We don't have time to go there, but in verse number 1, if you then be risen with Christ, seek those things that are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Keep your heart and your mind focused on Jesus. It'll inoculate you against all of the lies of this world. Christ, Christ plus nothing equals everything. Christ plus anything equals nothing. And I have found that if you're satisfied with him, if you're feeding on him, if you're in fellowship with him, if you're walking with him, you really don't have much of a taste for what this world has to offer. It's really not that appealing. There's an explosion of heresy and false teachings and all of these things on the internet. Every heretic has a worldwide audience now, but if you've got a Bible in your hand and Jesus in your heart, you have more wisdom and more knowledge and more insight and more revelation than all the philosophies of this world. They can't even answer the basic questions of life. They don't even know where it came from. They don't even know how many genders there are. They don't even know where life begins. But if you got a Bible and you got Jesus, you have got deep insight into the deep mysteries of God. So don't buy into the vain philosophy of this world. Just keep walking with Jesus and reading his book.